Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Thanks for coming out on the holiday weekend. Woohoo! <laughs> now I'm just taking it in. I'm just taking it in. Um, you know me. One of the things I love is Disney, and one of the things that I love most about Disney are what they call Easter eggs. Do you know what those are? It's like when you have one movie, and inside that movie, they will reference a different movie of theirs. Like, let me give you an example. Um, like this. We've got cars, and on the, the movie scene, the movie sign is the Incredibles. The Incredibles. See, they're advertising a different Disney movie. Or this one. You've got Monsters, Inc., and one of the dolls that Sully's holding is Nemo. Some of them are obvious like that. You see that. Some of them not so obvious. I don't know if you noticed this ever, but in The Little Mermaid, you can see um, Goofy and Mickey. Have you ever, has anyone ever noticed that when they watch The Little Mermaid? Oh, you, well, of course you did. Uh, all right, one or two more. Here, I love this. Meet the Robinsons. I never noticed this. Do you see Mowgli and Baloo? Never noticed it. How about this one? Uh, this is from Tangled, and up at the top, circled, you see Pinocchio sitting down there. You see the warthog from The Lion King. Never noticed that. This one is from Tangled, and they're in the library, and you see, um, you can't see it very well, but the circled book on the ground is the cover for Beauty and the Beast. The book that's open is the story of Sleeping Beauty, and up in the top corner was the Little Mermaid book. So I love these these. Easter eggs is what they call them, and Disney is most famous for. There are always places where you find Mickey Mouse ears. You'll notice uh, in the cheek, you got the Mickey Mouse ears. They're just little, little glimpses of things that you don't notice necessarily. Um, and we are in a series, and I didn't know if you noticed this, but we actually tried to put some Easter eggs into our pictures, and. There are a lot of you that walk in and out our doors every week, and you pass the pictures on the, on the walls right there in the foyer. I encourage you, next time you're here and they're up, take a look. Look for some of the Easter eggs. For example, I don't even know if you've ever looked at this, but, you know, you've got, we respond to God's love. It starts with the love of God, and his love reaches down to humanity, and humanity in turn responds with love, and it all happens through, can you see the cross? Have you noticed that before? You, you got it, George? <laughs> Stuff like this, like realigning our lives. We believe that the only way you can realign your lives is through the blood of Jesus. So even some of the colors we use, we're trying to send pictures. And we're not going to go through all of them. Uh, but I encourage you, try to find them. You might find some that we didn't even mean to have. Um, reveal the light. If you were in the board about three years ago, um, this actually was our initial um, logo instead of the tree. Helping others reimagine life with Jesus. The light bulb goes off, uh, but the board quickly said, um, how much are you charging for your energy, uh, for your electricity? It looks like an energy company. So we scrapped that, but you'll notice we still have light everywhere, light bulbs, because we believe that when you reimagine life with Jesus, the light bulb goes off. And so 
we are actually finishing up our series. We are on our last one, Restoring Brokenness. That is, I don't know if you've noticed, the city of Houston. And this is what we tried to make look like the cover of clouds and darkness rolling away as we restore brokenness in our city. And so um, next time they're out there, take a look and... uh, Maybe you'll find some Easter eggs that I haven't mentioned and come up and tell me and I'll tell you if it was deliberate or uh, accidental. And I'll tell you right now, I'll probably say, oh yeah, that was deliberate, regardless. But anyway, so let me tell you a story. It's a familiar story. Most of you have heard it. In fact, um, our kids are learning it uh, this morning in Spark. Um, But I think it's going to help us with Scripture Um, as we dive into our main passage. So, there once was a boy, he had a ton of brothers, 11 of them to be exact. Um, So this kid, Joe, we'll call him. Uh, Joe had these brothers, and he was his father's favorite. And I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but Joseph was definitely his father's favorite. And Joseph was always having these crazy dreams Big dreams that usually involved something that would upset his brothers, mainly because it always involved Joseph being elevated and his brothers bowing down and submitting to him. And then as time goes on, his dad gives Joseph this special coat, coat of many colors. Um, It was so beautiful that they made a Broadway musical out of it. Um, and it really upset his brothers even more. I mean, this Joseph with his big dreams. And all his brothers wanted to do was drive that dream out of him and crush it. So one day, Joseph was taking food to his brothers, and his brothers decide it's time to get rid of him. We've, we've had it, enough is enough. And the Bible says that they actually talked about wanting to kill Joseph, but one of his brothers says, no, 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 let's don't do that. Um, he, he convinced them to throw him in a pit because he was secretly planning on saving Joseph's life. And as luck would have it, a caravan passed by heading towards Egypt. And so his brothers sold him into slavery. And Joseph's dreams were killed. He was no longer dreaming about people bowing down to him. Now he was simply dreaming about getting out of prison. And when he's finally released because of his integrity while in prison, he ends up working for Potiphar, whose wife, um, well, let's just say she tried to seduce him, um, but he would, not, um, he would not succumb to her the grip of her indiscretions. And so he's thrown in prison Again, time and time again, this dream, you think the dream is about to happen and then it's crushed. And then you think this dream is about to happen and then it's crushed. And it would have been easy for Joseph to despair. I mean, he's sold into slavery. He's falsely accused by his boss's wife. Um, It just seemed like the guy simply couldn't catch a break. Maybe you've been there before. I know I feel like I have at times. Maybe you've had dreams that you truly felt like were from God, and they were placed on your heart, but it doesn't take long for the world to come along and 
crush those dreams. Kind of like uh, this poster. Um, I love, um, it's a site called despair.com, and they, they make demotivator posters instead of motivation posters. And uh, never be afraid to share your dreams with the world because there's nothing the world loves more than the taste of really sweet dreams. <laughs> Have you ever felt that way? So the question becomes, what happens when our dreams are crushed? I mean, it's in times like this that our hope fades away and we feel forgotten or abandoned or even lost. Well, we feel broken. Have you ever felt broken before? Maybe you feel like you're currently in a state of brokenness. You didn't, and you don't see any way to salvage the dreams that you once had. Well, you're not alone. You know, the truth is that we've all been broken. I mean, it's kind of part of who we are. We are broken people, and, and we see it all around us. We see human trafficking. We see oppression. You know, there's that boss that has it in for you, that spouse that's decided that the promises that were once made, they want out of... Um, the bully at school. Maybe it's that voice inside you that just keeps whispering, you'll never be enough. You'll never be enough. We've all been broken one way or another, and brokenness kills dreams. Today's scripture speaks to this. Um, it's a familiar passage here at HFC. Um, our five core values are rooted in this passage, it's Isaiah 61, and in it we see that God is about to deal with brokenness of all kinds. So if you would, hear the word of the Lord as I read it from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those that mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he'll give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. And in their righteousness, they'll be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They'll revive them, though they've been deserted for many generations. Foreigners will be your servants. They'll feed your flocks, and they'll plow your fields, and they'll tend your vineyards. You will be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. You will feed on the treasures of the nations and boast in their riches. Instead of shame and dishonor, you'll enjoy a double share of honor. You'll possess a double portion of prosperity in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. This is in quotations. This is the Lord speaking. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. 
Their descendants will be recognized and honored among the nations, and everyone will realize that they are the people the Lord has blessed. I'm overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. For he's dressed me with the clothing of salvation and he's draped me in a robe of righteousness. I'm like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. The sovereign Lord will show his justice to the nations of the world and everyone will praise him. His righteousness will be like a garden in early spring with plants springing up everywhere. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we've talked about this before, but just in case we need it, um, let's do a little history 101 um, just to get us back into the zone. Isaiah is considered to be written in the 8th century B.C., um, and most scholars actually believe that the book of Isaiah could be broken into three main sections. You've got chapters 1 through 39, which um, they're confident was written by Isaiah in the 8th century, and with those first 39 chapters, it's a message of judgment. It's judgment on their enemies. It's judgment for Israel themselves. Well, it's judgment for everyone. Justice and righteousness are not being observed by anyone. So God has declared that God himself will personally step in and bring these two characteristics of his nature. See, there was a dream and the dream has been derailed because of sin and oppression. But one key thing to remember is that judgment always precedes restoration. See, in chapters 40 through 55, which are often called Second Isaiah, um, and most believe they were written um, by an anonymous author in the 6th century, so a couple hundred years later, um, during a time when Israel was in exile. So in the second section... The focus is on the promise that God's word will always come to pass, that judgment, justice, and righteousness will happen. It is a certainty. There is a hope of a return. See, the dream is still alive. It may be weak. It may be frail. But it's still alive. And that brings us to the third section of Isaiah, which is, um, the last section, it's where our passage is placed. And in this section, judgments occurred and restoration is soon to follow. And this dream is not only restored, but it is to be expanded. The task for Israel is now much more than simply writing the words of the Lord on their heart and sharing them to their children and their children's children now, see, God is opening up the floodgates, and the restoration process is for all people, Jews, Gentiles, everyone. And as I, as I read this pattern in Isaiah, do you hear the story of Joseph in it? He's got these, these dreams that his brothers are going to bow down to him. The dreams derailed. Problems occur. He's sold into slavery. He's imprisoned. He finds favor with Pharaoh, and a glimpse of the dream is restored. And before we know it, Joseph is elevated to a place where he is second only to Pharaoh, and the dream is expanded, and it is not only his brothers 
that are bowing down to him, but everyone in the known world is bowing down to him. There's a dream. It's destroyed, and then there's a hope of it coming back, and then it's expanded into so much more than we ever thought that original dream could be. See, I found that on the other side of brokenness is Jesus. And with him is brand new hope. With him is a brand new dream. With Jesus is a brand new mission. And time and time again, that's the pattern of God. And here's the great part. The good word for today is this. We are allowed to partner with God in bringing restoration to the world. That's the good news. So, I was reading some commentators about Isaiah 61, and I noticed something that I had never noticed before, and I wanted to point it out. Um, One of the commentators said it so perfectly. He said, this chapter is about a promise, and the promise is what he calls the great change. See, God himself wishes to assert himself into the brokenness of the world, and this is good news. It's good news for those who are broken by life. So broken that they have no more heart to try. For those that are so bound up by their various addictions that liberties and releases are a cruel mirage. Those that think they'll never again experience the favor of the Lord or see his just vengeance meted out against those that have misused them. Those who think that their lives hold nothing more and ashes, sackcloth, and the fainting heaviness of despair. I love that. I find myself in so much of what that commentator explained in the first section. So you've got this first section, and that's where we are. And then you have the middle section of Isaiah 61, verses 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. And that's where... The passage reminds us why God is going to bring this great change. His justice and his righteousness demand it. He can't sit idly by while oppression occurs. He can't allow his dream for humanity to crumble because of selfish empires. And then here's what I love about Isaiah 61. So far, all the chapters, 1 through 9, have been about God. I mean, think about it. He has sent me. He has appointed me. He says he loves justice and he hates wrongdoing. He will reward the faithful. But then in verses 10 and 11, you have this switch. And you see the writer's response. And in it, it's first person. And he says, I am overwhelmed. I am like a bridegroom or a bride. See, the writer, here's the good news of God's plan to liberate people and restore brokenness to the world, and the writer takes responsibility for it, and he wants to pass it on. And that's what, that's what our call is today. Walter Brueggemann uh, writes it this way, the task of the prophetic ministry, which is what the church is called to engage in, we are the prophetic ministers. And what he means by that is we are called to help people reimagine 
a different reality than they're currently living in. We're, we're called to help them reimagine God's reality. So he says, the task of prophetic ministry is to nurture, nourish, and evoke a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. See, we're called to speak a new reality of hope to the hurting all around us. We're called to help the broken envision a different reality than the one they're living in. And while their dreams lie broken and in ruins all around them at their feet, it's the call of the Christian to help them reimagine a new reality, to rediscover the original dream that God had for humanity and for them. So, I thought about um, really unpacking what brokenness looks like, and then it, you know, I was talking with Jen, and Jen was like, we don't need to unpack brokenness. We all know what brokenness is. I mean, we've all been there. We see it. We watch the news. So I thought, maybe I would try to take a few minutes and help unpack what restoration could look like. And so I wanted to give you a couple examples of what partnering with God and joining in this restoration process uh, is looking like in the lives of some people all around the world. So what does it look like? Well, maybe it looks like Chris Leamy. Uh, Chris Leamy lives in New York. One day he's walking down the street, and a homeless lady um, looked at him and said, wow, I could get a lot more help if I had one of those. And it hit him, and it inspired him to start the He Plays For Me movement. And so what he does is he goes out on the streets and he sits next to the homeless people and he builds a relationship with them and he plays his guitar and then when people throw money for the music, he gives it to the homeless people in order to help them. I love what he said in an interview. He said he was reminded that so many people are in their situation because of tragedies beyond their control. They're not all drunks, they're not all on drugs and to generalize and assume this about all homeless people dehumanizes people, and it minimizes the brokenness that they are already living in. So his goal, his first goal is to get Miguel, which is right there, off the street. Miguel's had some tragedy hit him through no fault of his own. He's homeless, and the first goal of, of He Plays For Me is to help Miguel get off the street. He's taken responsibility for the brokenness that he sees around him in New York. Or, or maybe it looks like Jessica McLaird. She's in Fayetteville, Arkansas. She noticed a problem with what she calls food insecurity. Um, people that don't have enough. So she decided to do something about it. And so she created the little free pantry. It's just a small pantry that she built. And what she does is she goes to the store and she buys a little bit extra of certain things and she stocks the pantry with things that people need. And she said it's amazing, within minutes, items are gone, because the need is there. Um, it has been such an inspiration uh, to so many that communities, individuals, and churches around the world now have little pantries, free little pantries. See, they're deciding to restore brokenness, one community, one family, one person at a time. Or, or maybe it looks like Jeremy Cowart, who lives in Nashville, 
He was recently named the most influential, let me get this right, the most influential online photographer in the world by Huffington Post. He spends his life going around the world taking pictures, and he spends his life staying in hotels. And he started to think, what if a hotel could be more than just helping me get rest? What if it could serve a better purpose? So he's raising money currently right now to build the Purpose Hotel. The first one's going to be in Nashville. I think the second one that they're hoping to have in New York. And I love what it does. Everything in the hotel has a greater purpose. From free internet, um, if you want higher speeds, you pay for it, and it goes to help um, human trafficking. Um, from from um, the bed sheets that are made from people who are out of luck and need help, from the soaps that they use, um, from an organization called Lavender House that helps women who have been on the streets or in um, lives that are less than ideal, um, helps them out. And so what happens is when you get your bill, you see this is your bill and you helped save this person, you helped this person. Each room, the profit from the room goes to save and help and sponsor a child really pretty miraculous. See, Coward's focusing on helping people rebuild dreams that have been broken. Or maybe it's like Christine Kane. She and her husband, Nick, live in Australia, and they've co-founded the anti-human trafficking organization called the A21 Campaign. In her book, Undaunted, amazing book, she tells the story of Nadia, a Russian girl with a dream of becoming a nurse. And she's approached one day, um, she and her friends, by a group of guys that say, hey, we can help you. There are jobs and there's money in Greece. Um, and so they organize a meeting. They hand out brochures. Everything looks legit. She goes home and her family scrapes together money for weeks and weeks and weeks to get her to Greece for a better life. And within, within hours of arriving, Nadia's locked in a room and... We won't go into too many details, but you can imagine some of the atrocities uh, that Nadia faces. About three weeks into um, this utter brokenness, um, one of her captors leaves a window unlocked. She's on the third floor. She decides, I can't do this anymore. And she, um, in the book, Christine writes that she prayed, God, help this to end quickly so that my brokenness and my pain can be over. And she jumped out of a three-story window. Um, as luck would have it, luck, uh, which we mean, we believe was divine intervention, um, a lady saw her jump and ran to her. A lady in Greece who just happened to speak fluent Russian ran up to Nadia, who stood up uninjured after jumping out of a three-story window. She took her to the police, got her help, and A21 campaign helps people like Nadia all around the world. Their goal is abolishing human trafficking and injustice in the 21st century. Let me give you one last one. Katie Davis, she grew up in Brentwood, um, right outside Nashville, and before entering college, she took a mission trip to Uganda. We may have talked about her at one time. 2006, she's 18, she fell in love with the people of Uganda. She decided, instead of going to college, I'm going to take a year off, and I want to go back and be a missionary for a year 
in Uganda. So she returns in 2007, works as a kindergarten teacher at a school, at an orphanage there, and she noticed that children kept dropping out of school because their parents died and they couldn't stay in school or their parents couldn't afford um, to send them to the school. And so she noticed that this cycle of poverty was just being um, perpetuated. And so this 19-year-old decides, I can do something about it. So right now, she's 26, and she has adopted 14 of the girls from Uganda. She lives there, and she's helped create an orphanage sponsorship called Azima, Amazima, sorry. It partners with another organization, and daily, they feed 2,500 orphans that would go without food. That just, that inspires me. That gives me hope. Um, in uh, the National Prayer Breakfast in 2006, their keynote speaker was Bono, and he wrote this, uh, or he said this at the prayer. God may be with us in our mansions on the hill. I hope so. He may, may well be with us in all manners of controversial stuff. Maybe, maybe not. But one thing, the one thing that we can all agree, all faiths, all ideologies, is that God is with the vulnerable and the poor. God is in the slums, in the cardboard boxes, where the poor, poor play house. He's in the silence of a mother who's infecting her child with a virus that will soon end both their lives. God's in the cries heard under the rubble of war. God's in the debris of wasted opportunities and lives. And God is with us if we are with them. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me, the Lord has anointed us to bring good news to the poor. He sent us to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and that prisoners will be freed. He sent me to tell all that mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger and judgment against their enemies. To all who mourn, he'll give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair, and in their righteousness, they'll be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. You know, I look at all these large issues, and it's easy to think, wow, the world is just, it's just too broken. I mean, what can I do? I'm, I'm not a Jeremy Coward or a Katie Davis, I've got my own little world and I can barely handle that. Um, but the truth is that we're all confronted um, with the scripture this morning. And we're all called to respond to God's love by taking responsibility for bringing his kingdom here on earth where we live in our community. Some issues are global, but some are local. Um, I haven't mentioned all of the issues of brokenness that we face, of course. You can think of 
dozens more. But as the people of God, we're called to restore. And it can be simple acts that bring restoration to someone that totally and completely needs it right now. Take a look. We began this morning talking about Easter eggs, those things that are right in front of us that a lot of times we don't even notice. Once we see them, they're obvious, but until we're really looking, until we have the eyes to see them, a lot of times we just walk right by and don't see it. So my question is, uh, pretty simple. Are there Easter eggs around you that you simply haven't noticed? Maybe it's that coworker whose countenance has changed somehow in the past few weeks and you've just written it off as they're just being moody. Or the assignment that a student hands in if you're a teacher and it broke your heart, but you just assumed, well, they're just going through a phase. Or, or maybe it's that couple that's asked you to hang out over and over again, almost acting like they're desperate to see a marriage and what a good one should look like. They're all around us, folks. It's time for us to see them, to hear them, and to join in the work of restoration that God is wanting to see happen. So as we close, we put note cards, uh, little sheets of paper on each of your seats. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab that sheet. I've got two simple questions I want to ask you, and I, if you have a pen, I'd love for you to respond right now. If not, um, take it home. Uh, they're easy questions to remember. First question is this. What's one aspect of brokenness in your life where you need restoration or healing? And then I want you to write it down. There's something about writing it down that makes it more real. It's like, it's like I'm finally acknowledging it, God. You don't have to write a big, long letter. Maybe it's just a word. But an area in your life where you need healing or restoration. And the second question is similar, just a different focus. I want you to just take a minute, maybe bow your head, and I want you to ask God to show you someone or something or an issue around you that is broken. Ask God to open your eyes to the spiritual Easter eggs around your life. I'm going to give you just a second or two, and when you find that person, that issue, that item, I want you to write down what you think the next step is in you helping bring restoration into somebody else's life. It's outwardly focused. How can you, the first question is, how can God's kingdom come in my life? Second question is, how can God's kingdom come in the world around me?
So I'm going to give you a couple seconds. And while you're writing, um, it's the last thing we're going to do. And then um, we're going to close by singing the church, the song that we sang a few minutes ago called The Church. Um, this song should be our battle cry. And we're going to sing it in celebration and in determination uh, in just a few minutes. But um, there's an album called Resurre Resurrection Letters, Volume 2. It's written, uh, it's an album by one of my favorite artists, Andrew Peterson. And he writes a song, he penned words that just perfectly fit um, the ending of this service. So as I read them, continue to respond uh, to the two questions, and then we're going to sing. The lyrics go like this. Come broken and weary. Come battered and bruised. My Jesus makes all things new. All things new. Come lost and abandoned. Come blown by the wind. He'll bring you back home again. Home again. Rise up, oh you sleeper, awake. The light of the dawn is upon you. Rise up, O oh you sleeper, awake. He makes all things new. Come frozen with shame. Come burning with guilt. My Jesus, he loves you still. He loves you still. So rise up, O oh you sleeper, awake. The light of the dawn is upon you. Rise up, O oh you sleeper. Awake. He makes all things new. And this is the bridge, and this is worth the album. The world was good. The world is fallen. But thanks be to God, the world will be and is being redeemed. So hold on to the promise. The stories, the stories are true. This Jesus makes all things new. All things new. So rise up, O oh you sleeper. Awake. The light of the dawn is upon you. Rise up, O oh you sleeper. Awake. He makes all things new. And that is our call as a church, to remind ourselves and to remind the broken around us. He makes all things new. One of a uh, pastor that I worked with a couple decades ago was famous for saying this. The church exists in part for those who are not yet part of it. We are the church. We are the change the world is waiting for. And this isn't a political change. This isn't a social change. It is, but it's not. We are the change because we are the hands and feet of Christ. We are the hope of the world. God has called us, the church, to be his hands and feet. Bill Hybel says, we are the agents of reconciliation. There is no plan B. We are the ones that proclaim the good news of Jesus, his love, and his forgiveness. So would you do me a favor? Would you stand? We're going to finish by singing the church. 
and then we're going to go and we're going to be the church and we're going to restore brokenness where brokenness is found around us. Now I know that um, sometimes it can be overwhelming so I feel like I just I want to remind you um, if, if you have something on your heart and you're like this is bigger than me. I need, I need someone to talk to. One of the pastors here would love to talk to you. What does God place on your heart? What's a burden that we can partner with you um, to help bring restoration? Um, as you exit, you'll see a big sign that says, say yes. We have dozens and dozens of needs in our church, um, and we're looking for people that have the passion to see that brokenness or that need and so I encourage you, maybe it's as simple as helping out in the fourth and fifth grade classroom, or maybe it's as simple as helping out with technology or, or, or starting a life group or something. But there are thousands and thousands of ways to bring restoration in our community and in our world. So as you leave today, may God grant you creativity and may God grant you vision. Vision to see the need and creativity to think beyond what you can do and to dive into the creative resources of our Father who can do anything. And may you bring restoration and healing to your world today. Go in grace and peace.